once again to grab a frothy beverage and snuggle up with the internet's favorite comfort blanket, Two Girls, One Podcast. This week, your intrepid hosts travel back in time to the turn of the century when websites ran on steam power and the only non-fungible tokens were the diversity characters on popular sitcoms. And now here are your hosts who haven't watched television since Dharma and Greg was cancelled. Lindsay Ford and Allison Goldberg. Hello, everyone. I am Lindsay. Oh, is that you being so fierce because you don't have COVID? My name's Lindsay and I don't have COVID. I mean, I wasn't going to throw it in your face, but y'all. I think you did. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast, where we talk about weird stuff from the internet that is cool. And also where only one of the hosts is currently a gold star survivor of the pandemic. God damn it. I thought I was like a gold star gay. You know what I mean? We're like, you know, gold star gay is like they've never touched a vagina. I thought I was a gold star gay of the pandemic. Allie, Sorry don't to act anyone like that you I made offended that up. with that I've comment. been saying gold star survivor of the pandemic for literally weeks now. Wait, did you say it? Yes. You literally got that from me and you said after you caught COVID, you were like, I'm not a gold star gay anymore. And I was like, oh that's God. not what it is. Okay. Well, you heard it here. I got it from Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I got brain fog. I got COVID. Don't blame me. I'm stealing jokes from a co-host. It's fine. You got, you know, it's the highest form of flattery. Oh, I just coughed. Ding, ding, ding. No, yeah, no, I fucking got COVID in March 2022. You guys, that is like running a fucking marathon and tripping at the goddamn finish line, okay? (laughs) I just did like a fucking Olympic uh, gymnastics routine and I didn't stick the fucking landing, You stepped out of bounds right at the end. Oh my God, I lasted for so long. But and so many people are like, I guess I just want to get it and get over with. And I'm no, like, you're don't. crazy. We're so close to the end. I, I never want to get it. Never, never want to get, get it. Never want to 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 get it. The true, the true point of this podcast is to do contact tracing. So where, where did you get it from? Oh my god, you don't want to get it from my Actually, such a big story. I don't know. It's not. I mean, it is depending on how you tell it. But yeah, I'll tell you off air, Max. I don't want to incriminate anyone but you know uh, it's not even that fun but yeah i got covid i got it finally and you know what on the 27th there were zero new reported cases and i tested positive on february 26th i'm the last known case what's the opposite of patient zero does anyone know what is, what is the opposite of a trendsetter? What is no reported cases where in your city in, LA. in your town? Ta- I'm sure your, it's bullshit. I'm in sure the entire city. Yeah, New York Times. I have a screenshot because on February 27th it says no new cases. It says zero for new cases that's, on the 27th. That's huge. I mean, obviously not f- truly true, but like yeah, because like at home tests good. and whatever. No, it's great. How the fuck did I get it? I had been in so many riskier situations. Y'all remember when I went to a reptile show? Didn't get COVID. I also <laughs> went north to take care of my friend who had shoulder surgery and while i was there his fucking roommate tested positive i sat with his roommate as he tested positive drove home through the night didn't get covid but i got covid at a dinner of three people that was like quasi outdoors last week <laughs> you went to wuhan and licked a bat and you didn't, and I get, didn't COVID. get covid but i finally got covid and here's the kicker or get your sound cues ready matt i had mm-hmm. covid for my birthday Oh, that's another one. You gotta that's play sad trombone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, wait, let me uh, let me see what I have on the board here. Hang on. COVID okay, on to... her birthday. We want to enjoy this diversion. <laughs> yeah. Does that help? Who is that? So I'm just saying, if you want to send me a birthday present, you know, DM me. I'm at Allie underscore Goldie across social media platforms. <laughs> I had a quarantine's birthday, and I'm milking it for all that I can. <laughs> oh, uh, you do. Deserve 
deserve a gift. Thank also, you. if you want to send me a gift because I'm still a gold <laughs> star survivor of the pandy, uh, I am at the Lindsay Life across all platforms. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Send a gift to Allie. She needs it. I mean, it. look, send me a gift. Send Lindsay a fucking medal, okay? <laughs> That's what you should do. But oh man, guys, I have to say, COVID, it's not fun. <laughs> It's no fun. Oh, yeah. No, that I basically cough was perfect. Yeah, thank you. I planned it. Um, no, it's not fun. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm vaxxed and I'm boosted, so I was never like worried or anything. But Saturday through Monday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, so not, anyway, just like three or three or four days were like rough. Now I feel much better today. Was Saturday a sadder day? It was because you it had was. the vid. Yeah, day one was the worst. <laughs> <I think. laughs> Did you get the Omicromi or like, do you know? I don't know. I'm assuming it was the Omicromi, um, but it was, I don't know what classifies as mild, but it was not good for a little bit. You know? Well, can you smell? Can you smell? Yeah, I can smell and I can taste. Oh my God. So I was really sad and feeling like really shitty the night, um, my birthday Eve, if you will. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, oh, what if I can't smell or taste on my birthday? <laughs> And I could, I could. Thank Because I, I knew, I knew, I knew I have some good friends and I knew some treats were probably going to arrive at my door and they did. And I was like, that would be like the last frontier. You know what I mean? If like your birthday is quarantined, you have COVID and you can't taste or smell. Like, come oh, on. Oh, man. Yeah. That so. would be an absolute nightmare. I'm so sorry. Ugh, how's everybody else doing? I went to a show I was going to take you to for your birthday. No, we were going to go together. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> oh, fuck. I know. I texted Lindsay. I was like, are you at that show right now? How is and then it? I texted her a fun? photo of me drinking in her honor. It was nice. <laughs> it was nice. But Matt, <sighs> we didn't tell the audience, if you're new here, that male giggle you're hearing isn't Allie with COVID. Oh, yeah. It's Matt. Hi, Matt. Hello. Hey, ho, oh, hey. Matt. Wow. Is that the voice you use on your wife? That's No, this is my normal voice. <laughs> I just may do a character for this show. <laughs> love it. Love it. I Matt love it. has you... been um, pretending all this time. <laughs> yeah, it's the long con. Mm -hmm. What are we doing today? Great question. Should we talk about our guest? I think we should. Um, wow. So I'm actually going to tell a wee little story, which is I was out with some friends who identify as queer, bi, lesbian, and they all started talking about this site called After Ellen and how it was really integral in their coming out experience. And I thought it was so lovely. And there was also a a brother website for the men after Elton and they correspond I think with when these celebrities came out and how it changed the game for people so we thought it'd be really nice to do a kind of wholesome episode um, unfortunately those communities do not exist in the same form today but we went ahead and contacted the founder and creator of after Ellen and we're going to chat with her today you were saying how when those two People came out, it was a big deal. But I think Elton came out and he was already like super famous, right? Yeah. But Ellen was on TV and her show was, you know, good and it multiple seasons, but she came out and it was like crazy. Maybe it's just because I'm so young. <laughs> no one <laughs> on TV had ever come out before, but definitely like. Famous people that were in your house every day, like on the television, were not out, right? Even Elton John, oh he's not so weekly bizarre. on the TV, right? Yeah. So yeah. it was just like this this TV personality that we all know is like, yo, I'm gay. And everyone's like, oh, wow, who knew? And Ellen was super famous. Like this was like a huge show of its time. And she was like, you know, named by all the critics and magazines as like the funniest person in America. Like she was it, the it girl, the it lady of her time, you know, and then she, she's you know, definitely she does this and it, it blows the doors off now. Yeah. 
No, for sure, for sure. But in like the stand-up comedy sitcom world, yeah, she was. You huge. know, you had your Seinfelds and you have your Ellen. Pat. Her stand-up is yeah. so fucking good. By the way, if you what? ever go back and watch old Ellen DeGeneres stand-up, is so good. It's masterful. It's masterful, like observational comedy. Yeah, I love that. Um, just for some context, she came out on April fourteenth, nineteen ninety-seven. I thought you were going to say April Fool's Day. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that that's why it was so weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've told this story before, but my aunts are lesbians. So they're my lesbians, obviously, trying to make that happen. I don't know why Gunkles is a thing and lesbians isn't. Uh, but it's weird because I grew up with them. And so I learned what being gay was first. And then later I learned there was a stigma, which as an adult, like kind of blows my mind. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, so I just recall just being so confused about the whole thing, you know. But you weirdly had the experience that hopefully most kids in will have, you yeah. know, normal progressive situations have today. Yeah, but it was rare cool. back then, yeah. Super rare. I didn't really know what what it meant for a long time, but I had these like encyclopedia the book of why because obviously i asked too many questions and my parents got sick of trying to figure out how to answer them <laughs> he is a so book. they're just like look at your book <laughs> but there was one about like sexuality and it was like you know when two people love each other they could be both they could be a guy and a girl it could be two girls it could be two guys and i was like oh and they're like and if if they're the same that's called being gay and i was like I love my best friend. Maybe I'm gay. And my mom was like, I don't think that's quite what it is. Maybe. I doubt it, though. We got to wait a little longer and see. <laughs> I love that's funny. The, How old were you? Yeah. She was like, we know you have a poster of JTT behind your poster of the Braves. So we don't think that's what it is. JTT. Yeah. It's nice, you know, that we have made such progress, but then it's also kind of crazy to think how new gay rights really are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, which is wild. Yeah, 97. I would have thought Ellen came out in like 1992. Right. Or, or you know, 1950. And that's why Gen Z thinks we're <laughs> fucking ancients. You know what I mean? Like, I don't blame them, <laughs> you know? Like, you look at footage from that and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think it's time for our court-mandated trivia. Yes, trivia. trivia. We don't want to do it, but it has to be done. I love it. Today's show is about the online community that formed after the historic 1997 episode of Ellen was broadcast, as you just laid out, in which Ellen DeGeneres' character and she herself came out as gay to the world. Uh, this was called the puppy episode. I assume there were other plot points about a puppy or something. I don't know the rest of the show. And it led to a lot of media attention and backlash, ultimately a decline in the ratings of the show itself. Show was at the top of its game, hugely popular, uh, kind of went downhill after that, and it was canceled one year later or some months later in 1998. Uh, but it, was, of course, was a watershed moment for the LGBTQ plus community and the scene itself, the show is great and the scene itself is really funny. Uh, and here's a clip. I mean, why can't I just say the truth? I mean, be who I am. I'm 35 years old. I'm so afraid to tell people. I mean, I just, Susan, I'm gay. So she is struggling to get the words out. She's speaking to Laura Dern, playing another character, and they're in an airport terminal. And she leans in to the PA system to say this private thing, and she broadcasts it to the world. And that was the moment. All the people in the terminal are played by actors, extras, and they the camera cuts to them, and they're looking shocked, like, oh, she said, I'm gay. Uh, but there's one important face hiding in the crowd of extras in this very important scene. Who else is in this historic television moment besides Ellen DeGeneres and Laura Dern? I have three choices for you. I'm still recovering from finding out Laura Dern is who she was talking to in that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your three choices are A, a young Lady Gaga who is credited by her birth name, Stephanie Ger German... Yep, yep, yep. Germanatoa, Germanata. sorry. Germanata. Germanata, great. She you was fucking 11 heterosexual years man who didn't know <laughs> Stephanie Germanata. <laughs> Fuck you. 
Germanata. No wonder she changed her name. She was 11 years old at the time. Uh, she was playing a kid with her parents at the airport. That is choice A. Or is it choice B, Congressman Barney Frank from Massachusetts, one of the few openly gay U.S. politicians of the time? He wanted to be present during this historic scene. He plays an inconspicuous cab driver, kind of with his hat pulled down over his eyes. But rumors of his involvement with the show nearly cost him his Wait, uh, suspicious his cab seat. driver? How did you know he's a cab driver if he's in the airport? Inconspicuous cab driver. Cab drivers are okay, at the airport. Because at first I was with you until you were like, cab driver. I'm like, that's a detail that maybe Matt made up that doesn't actually make sense in the airport. <laughs> You've never seen cab... I mean, look, today uh, Ubers are, are all the rage, but uh, you never seen a cab driver in the airport? Not on the inside. I don't know hmm. how to identify a cab driver who's not inside of a cab. That's my point. Fair point. Like, are you saying they look different, Matthew? That all cab drivers look different even yeah, when all, they're not inside all, their cab? All cab drivers okay. know each was other and look the same. Was he holding a sign? Because then, like, maybe you could be like, oh, he's a cab driver. Oh, there you go. There you go. Otherwise, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Next, next okay. choice. Let's go. Was it C? It was Ellen's own mother, Betty. In the crowd. Oh, cute. Oh, I hope it's C. I vote C. I'm going to go okay. with C. I was going to go with B, except for the flaw of the cab driver. Mm, mm, the cab driver mm. without his cab is just a human. Okay. I think Matt does a good job, so it's probably the cab driver one since it does sound wackadoo. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yeah. I guess so. Like, Barney. How could a 90s sitcom not get every detail exactly perfect in this scene? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. I mean, have you seen the clothes? Yeah. We'll find out after this commercial break. I stole your line. I stole it. Nice. All right, everyone. We just wanted to say thank you because we couldn't come out of our shells and do this podcast without the assistance. I mean, I'm not allowed out, so way to rub that in, Lindsay. <laughs> just kidding. Please, My please continue. <laughs> so... We would like to thank the following people who contribute to our Patreon at the $10 or more level, starting, should we say it in a super gay way? No, definitely not. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm going to anyway. Starting with Wesley Cordell. Jerry Durant. Jessica Fox. Kathy Phillips. Matthew Scott. Melissa Elliott. William. And our brand new patron, Ken M. For longtime listeners, we converted a guest into a Patreon supporter. Hell yes. yeah. Yes, I'm very proud of us. I also was using my gayest voice. I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean anything. That's the point. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. I get it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Got him. <laughs> the like... doctor was a woman. <laughs> 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 I do know that joke. Well, thank you so much for supporting us. And if you would like to join this list of illustrious humans, you can visit patreon.com slash 2G1P. <laughs> Post entitled, Who Left This Sandwich on My Truck? From the website that has been asking and answering humanity's deepest questions since the dawn of civilization itself. Next door, courtesy of Best of Next Door. Who left this on my truck? This is not funny. I called the police on you. This is a violation of privacy and the First Amendment. If I ever see another sandwich on my property again, I'm going to report you to the police. Honestly, if someone would bring me a sandwich, that'd be fucking great. Also, he called the police and threatened to call the police. That's a very old man thing to do. It's a double. That's a double. Watch yeah. out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Relax, bro. I'm grateful. It's a Sandy. Enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they thought you were looking famished. I don't know what the kids today are into, but is a sandwich left on your truck? Is that, um, is that Uber Eats? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the kids are into either. They were either. just trying to make their delivery. They put it on the wrong truck. That's okay. true. It's Fair probably enough. the wrong truck. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Matt, you got to tell us the answer because I think yeah. 
I want my heart to be warmed by knowing it was mom. Who was in the crowd in the airport terminal when Ellen DeGeneres' character came out as gay, uh, rocking the world? Was it A, a young Lady Gaga? Was it B, Congressman Barney Frank? Or was it C, Ellen's own mom, Betty? You both went with mom just because you you want it to be true. Mm-hmm. The correct answer is, it's Betty. Her mom's name is Betty? I won. Oh, it's so cute. We tied. In the scene, Ellen says, I'm gay. And then it cuts to various people in the terminal. And there's like a line of people uh, standing by the window. And right in the middle is a, is a, you know, a lovely gray haired woman who is, who just looks like, and that, and that's the scene. If I was ever brave enough to do something like come out on television in the 90s, I would hope my mom would be there, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's sweet. And, you know, it means her mom was supportive, which is wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of supportive, let's talk to our guest. We are so excited to have Sarah Warren join us today. She is a founder of After Ellen, which obviously we'll get into in a moment. And in her other life, she's a marketing exec. So thank you for joining us. Welcome. (laughs) Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So obviously, everybody hears the name Ellen, and we know who that is and what she is like. But when you started your website, what was that for you? And how did you choose the name after Ellen? I started the site in 2002, and that was during uh, after Ellen Ellen DeGeneres' sort of dark period of her career when she had been sort of blacklisted for coming out. And it was unclear at that time whether she would even ever work again, so to speak, Mm -hmm. ironically, uh, because then she ended up being way more famous than she was before. (laughs) But at the time, I named it after Ellen because for two reasons. One, I thought, well, three, I thought it would be a pivotal, it was a pivotal watershed moment when she came out on her comedy, when her character came out as gay and she came out as gay in real life. And um, I wanted to sort of mark the fact that the media representation of lesbians sort of changed after that. And it became a topic that, that more people were talking about. That was one reason. Another reason was uh, I honestly thought maybe people might not remember her in the, in the future. That's funny. Which was ironic again. Yeah. <laughs> and the third reason was really prosaic. Back then in the interweb Things were very, Google really wasn't a big thing and everything was about Yahoo directory. And if your name started with A, you appeared higher in the directory. Mm. So Sarah, what did Ellen coming out on her TV show and in real life mean for you? You know, it didn't really impact me personally Mm -hmm. because I had already, I was already out and comfortable with that. And I was, I headed up the lesbian group in, in my college, you know, out to my family. It was it wasn't a big deal, but I'd always paid a lot of attention to lesbian visibility and thought that it was very important. It it was hugely monumental from that from that standpoint, like before that happened, like at that time, it's it's hard to imagine now. But at that time, that was what, 2001, I think, or 2002. Can't remember exactly when now, but you could literally count the number of lesbians on television on one hand at any given moment. Like that's how scarce it was. Or in, in movies. We were definitely uh, represented, but we were always either suicidal or, you know, axe murderers. <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it is one of my hobbies, axe murdering. But <laughs> as long as you don't get caught, it's a great hobby. I didn't necessarily want to broadcast that. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I just, it was just depressing, frankly. Being a lesbian and a bisexual woman was, it was even worse if you were bisexual, because then, you were either really promiscuous or an axe murderer or a, a promiscuous axe murderer. Wow. But it's either way, either for either group, it was just super depressing. And you just might as well kill yourself now because your life was going to be so terrible. <gasps> so <laughs> that's that's the image you saw of yourself. anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally. It, it's so fascinating because it was such a, a pivotal moment. And, you know, now Ellen's career has also undergone a few transitions. Yeah. (laughs) But so can you tell us about the founding of After Ellen? Sure. So I was at a party, just a a, a dinner party with a couple people. And and one of my friends was just chatting with people and spouting off random factoids about lesbians on television. I don't know. It made sense at the time. It It sounds random now, but 
someone in the at the party said, oh, you should start a website about that. You know so much about this stuff. And I thought about it and I went, that's actually a really good idea. So I went home that weekend and I got a book to teach myself HTML. Wow. And then started creating a uh, site from scratch. And I built it that weekend and launched it, I think, three days later. And boy, if you look at the... Um, if you look at the old Wayback Machine, you can see the old After Ellen uh, from, from 2002. And, and you could tell that it was made by a non-designer who had just learned how to code. <laughs> I just wanted to write about what things that I cared about. And I think one of the first big articles that was kind of a hit, so to speak, was uh, an article about the L Word, which had just been announced at that time. The L Word was a really popular TV show about a group of lesbians in LA, but it was really revolutionary at the time because... It like practically doubled the number of lesbians on television just through that one show. But there was a lot of other topics I covered and, and I just started writing about it and it got into Google and, and Google at that time it was starting to get some traction. So people started post sharing it on message boards and, you know, sharing it to their friends and just little by little, the readership grew. And then I started to get more writers and then eventually got editors and uh, and so on. Amazing. So we'd love to hear more about what kind of content was being posted and how members were interacting back in the heyday of After Ellen. You know, I slowly attracted more writers who were willing to write for free initially. And this was back when it wasn't that commonplace. Like nowadays, a lot of writers don't want to do that. But back then, they were willing to do it and it was great. And, and I wasn't getting paid either. And we were all just writing about something we loved, whether it was like, about a band that nobody really knew about, or we started interviewing behind the scenes folks who worked in like costume design or different different aspects of TV and film. The, the content though that really got the most traction with people was anything related to fandoms. This, that's one thing that hasn't changed since the dawn of the internet. <laughs> but one of our biggest, most popular features was Scribe Girl, who was one of our uh, popular writers, did these L Word recaps that got huge, huge followings and traffic. I don't remember when, but we launched message boards somewhere within a year or two after we launched the site. And those became pretty popular as a community, as a way for women to, to engage with other women or ostensibly about this content, but then they would end up becoming friends and doing, you know, meeting up in real life. I, I've talked to a handful of people over the years who've met their spouses on After Ellen and ended up getting married. And oh, amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, okay. First of all, you have to just tell at least one story mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. who are spouses who met on After Ellen. <laughs> you know, no one's coming to mind right now, but I just remember hearing that story. So they weren't, weren't people that I knew super well, but you know, lots of other people mention it. Even years later, I would run into people and be like, oh yeah, I met my girlfriend on on After Ellen or my wife. Uh, the other thing is I want to circle back to the type of content because that was in the mm -hmm. early days The was the written content. But then around, I want to say 2006 or so, we launched video blogs and we were one of the first editorial sites of any type to do that. And those became hugely popular. So we had all sorts of people doing what, what, what you would now call sort of YouTubers. But this was before YouTube was around, but it wasn't a big thing yet to have people doing this on a regular basis. So we had people covering topics from video games to TV recaps to we had people doing film reviews. And, and my wife and I did a, a weekly show for a while that was like, we, I think we did two. She made me watch this and who thought that was a good idea, <laughs> which, were, <laughs> which were recaps of uh, sort of enter lesbian entertainment news or, or um, the latest developments in, in lesbians on television or things like that. All of those, not particularly ours, but just the videos in general got a lot of viewers initially because that was kind of a novel thing, and especially that you could go to one place and find all of this great video content and written content, but video content featuring lesbians. You could literally end bisexual women. You could see like people who look like you and, and they weren't all, some of them were Hollywood folks like Julie Goldman and Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live used to do a, mm -hmm. a travel video blog for us. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, Liz Feldman, who does some shows now on Netflix and whatnot, she did a talk show where she had some folks on really well-known celebrities and stuff on her show. And so we would have these high-profile guests, but also we had two gals from the South who were just college students or um, graduate students doing recaps of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So it was all over the map. And we had a, one uh, Mombian doing uh, a parenting one. And 
just was such a community effort. That was the great thing about it. It wasn't any one person or topic. It was like all of these different things. You're making me really nostalgic for when the internet was like a simpler place with such promise of bringing people together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I have a question, particularly with regards to the reviews and stuff that you were doing. Did you guys have any sort of... Ugh, I'm so bad. I shouldn't be saying you guys. That's something that I still do. But <laughs> I'm working on that too. <laughs> did y'all? I mean, to me, guys is non-gendered, but I know a lot of people disagree with me. So the patriarchy makes you think it's not gendered, but that's okay. <laughs> we're all trying to survive the patriarchy. It's okay. That's right. We're all a work in progress. But what if yeah. I'm reappropriating it and taking away the maleness? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, mm, I hear you on that too. Anyway, the sidebar, sidebar, sidebar. Yeah. Question: Did you have any kind of form of the Bechdel test, like some sort of barometer for these reviews? I'm just curious. That's a great question. I don't think we did. It was really sort of gut. Like we wouldn't do reviews for things where it was a really minor character unless unless there was like really nothing else to write about that month. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. we also specifically looked for projects with women of color and would specifically preference those over others if we had to choose, for example, just because if it was bad for white women, it was triply bad for women of color in terms of, of visibility, Yeah, mm-hmm. um, especially queer women of color. So that was always one one of the goals. Like we always had a uh, we had a rule that if you when you have to pick only one cast member to put on the, the feature photo on the homepage, if there were multiple people to choose from, you always pick the person of the woman of color, mm-hmm. especially bisexual women of color who were particularly um, invisible. Wow. I love this heightened awareness that after Ellen seems to have. I'm wondering how you choose people who, how people become contributors to the site. Is it just people pitch to you and then you say yes or no? Or is it like a free publishing sort of thing? Is it like Board Panda or is it like Medium? <laughs> people definitely pitched us mm-hmm. with some exceptions. Heather Hogan, who, who writes for Autostraddle, Autostraddle now, um, which, by the way, I, if you liked After Ellen back in the day, I highly recommend Autostraddle now. Heather Hogan was someone, for, as an example, who was just a commenter. But her comments in the in the community forum and stuff were so hilarious and so well-written that I literally just like contacted her out of the blue and said, hey, do you want to write something for us? And then she ended up becoming a, a, a regular contributor, you know, wrote for us all the time. There were other folks who, people who just pitched me would just send me articles. And I'd be like, sure, we'll, we'll give it a try. And sometimes it would work into, out into a longer thing and sometimes it wouldn't. But yeah, it was, it was a real community effort. And in fact, one of the things when I decided to retire from that in, in 2009, after I'd sold the company, I'd realized that like this, the, the future of After Ellen or of any, and this is my actual belief about any content site, is no one person is ever going to appeal to everyone. So you need to have lots of ways in for different people. So like mm-hmm. me as a, as a white woman, for example, a, a lesbian white woman may not appeal to, say, a black bisexual woman from the South. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So the, what I started to do about a year before I wanted to wind down was I started to take more and more of a backseat and put more and more other people and as much of a diversity of types of people, ages, sexuality, uh, we didn't have a lot of trans folks at the time. So we didn't run the spectrum there, really. Racial differences, et cetera. Just wanted to have as much variety as possible because then it's also really dangerous. You don't ever want to be too closely associated with one person because if then someone doesn't like that person or there's a scandal or something, it takes down the whole brand. So I was really trying to strengthen the brand by diversifying it. And it also allowed me to step away. And and my whole goal was that I could step back from this site that used to be really associated with me that by the time I left in 2009, that it would it would cause barely a ripple. And that's pretty much what happened. Wow. I do want to move into what happened after you left. Before we go there, I wanted to learn a little bit more about how members would interact with each other. I know you said that some marriages resulted, which is amazing. <laughs> how else did people interact? And did they have, you know, real life meetups? How was that community form. Yeah, great question. Um we did have real life meetups towards the uh, end where we had actual after Ellen meetups. Like we used to go to Dinosaur every year, so people would come up there, come up to us there and we would chat. But actual organized meetups for the site, we only had in the later years before I left, like 2007-2008. Uh, those were really fun. We had one in New York, we had one in 
Lyon, France. Wow. Yeah. And then occasionally I would run into after Ellen people in random places like somebody came up to to Lori, my wife and I in, at Disneyland and were like, oh my God, I know you. Like I, I almost got this. I could tell when someone knew me from after Ellen, like somebody would just come up to me in some random place. <laughs> yeah. It was really fun though. Everybody was great and polite. Um, in terms of how they interacted, other people interacted offline. I, I heard a lot of stories of people meeting up in small groups or just for dates elsewhere. And at the same time, I should also mention, we were also seeing this same type of community develop on After Elton, which was our brother site, which I also co-founded. So I founded After Elton, but I co-founded After Elton with Michael Jensen. Great. I I read about After Elton, but I did not realize that you were involved with After Elton. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So what happened is three months after I started After Elton, a year or so after, I was like, we should do something like this for gay men because it's getting traction for women. And so I did that. And then I realized about three months into trying to do it myself that I was terrible at it (laughs) because I didn't really care Mm -hmm. about gay men. (laughs) Like, I just, you know, when you really care about something, it shows. Yeah. You know, I wanted more visibility for gay men, but I just didn't have that extra passion for it. Michael still ran after Elton in reality. I basically hired him three months after I started it. And he was a friend of mine and said, hey, I think you can do a better job than me. You go run it. And he just did a fantastic job. Like that community was rock solid. Although, interestingly, that community was sort of a mix of gay men and straight women, whereas After Ellen was mostly lesbian and bisexual women and a few straight women. I also had always been struggling with some resentment over the fact that within the queer community, like media coverage and and everything else tends to be very sexist. It's very geared towards gay men. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the gay community means the gay male community. Yeah. I mean... Every which way you can think about it, that's what that means. Like Mm. in terms of who gets coverage by the mainstream media, it's almost always gay men over lesbians. This has changed a little bit over time. But in terms of where the ad dollars go, the ad dollars all go to advertising to gay men and not to lesbians. Like, why do you think that is? I I have a lot of guesses, but I would love to hear why you think that is. I think there's a lot of fascinating psychological things going on. So after I sold the site um, to MTV in 2006, Part of the the contract was that I would move to New York and run nine of their sites, including After Ellen and After Elton, uh, from an editorial director standpoint. Part of my job was to meet with advertisers, to to be part of the pitch, to get them to spend money on After Ellen or After Elton or any of our other LGBT sites. And consistently, even though we had data showing that in reality, lesbians were often the better target audience for their product, like lesbians actually spend more money on average than straight women. They make more money, et cetera. It didn't matter. They were almost always interested in more interested in gay men because, and this is the theory that I developed, the stereotypes about gay men actually work for them as an advertising target. Think about the stereotypes of uh, gay men. Again, these have dissipated a bit over the last decade, but 10 years ago, stereotypes about gay men were still very firmly that like they didn't have kids. They had a lot of expendable income. They were high earners. You know, they were sort of high consumers of goods. Whereas the, the uh, stereotypes about lesbians have always been that we like make our own clothes and grow our own food and like camp in our backyard, <laughs> right? <laughs> that, and, and that it, sometimes we have kids, sometimes we don't, but that we're not ideal consumer mm-hmm. for most companies. So that's my theory and that most of the people making advertising decisions are not gay, gay and lesbian or bisexual. And, and so they weren't familiar with the fact that these stereotypes were like bunk. So when you would show them data that countered their stereotypes, they still didn't really buy it. So it became very frustrating. That often happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Years ago, this maybe was like a decade ago, I heard a trans man speak. He said that society is much more interested in men who become women than women who become men. And his theory was so fascinating to me. He said there's more of a fascination with someone taking a step down from power because it's like, of course you would take a step up. Why would you take a step down? Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought it was a really uh, wild intellectual perspective on that. In a a different talk, I heard someone talk about like the the gay male stereotypes. They're just so loud, right? Like drag queens, they're fabulous. There's a lot of color. And so Mm -hmm. they've gotten so much more coverage than the lesbian community. Mm. Well, I have another question. I want to get a clearer picture of how people connect through the site. 
Were there like chat rooms? Are they just connecting in the comment section and then finding each other? Uh, well, originally it was just in the comments, in the, the forums, literally. It was mm-hmm. like, an, think an old school message board, like with like topics and, and then you just would go into threads on each topic. And that's what we had to work with back then. And we did launch a chat room late in the later years, but it was never as popular as just the straight up message boards. I think because those are asynchronous, you know, you can sort of leave comments whenever. Yeah. There was a direct messaging ability, like a private message. And I think people use that a lot. Mm. I guess that's the equivalent of Instagram DMs, but I'm sure Instagram is reading those. Y'all so relax. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was talking with Michael, Michael Jensen and his partner, Brent Hardinger, the other day about they have a, a, a newsletter called um, Brent and Michael are going places. They've become digital nomads. They've evolved from a website-based content to newsletter-based content, and they, they love it. They love their lives. But they were saying that, that actually they are seeing a, a pretty good community grow up around their own content in a newsletter format as well. So like comments, people engaging with each other in the comments that way. So you know, I, I'm on Reddit a lot. I feel like to me, that's still the best of social media is like, some level of anonymity and people engaging through comments, not on like the Instagram, Facebook model, but more they like engaging around topics of shared interests. Mm. I actually loved what you were saying about that because I very much agree because, because social media today is about generating algorithmic revenue for tech companies and social mm-hmm. media, as you're describing it, is like, no, no, we're all here to gather around a thing we're all passionate about. And Reddit still is that, mm-hmm. but Facebook and Instagram are not. And I think that is a really important point. Where do you guys hang out? There, See, there I go with the you guys thing. So you're not alone. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I hang out right here with Allie and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it is always funny. And we have talked about it on the show of like, you study internet communities and you're fascinated with them, but you're not part of any yeah. in your normal day-to-day life. And y'all are weirdos. Ha. Huh. No, Interesting. I'm, I'm weird. You know what? We don't want to get too close to our subjects, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> we don't want to Jane Goodall up in this internet. Yeah, yeah. We need to stay healthy distance <laughs> we away. We just want to stay safely back. That sounds yep. very healthy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think the internet has been so useful for people who who are afraid and feel like they have this thing that other people aren't going to approve of. I feel like that's where the internet has been really magical. And we've covered Mm -hmm. it a lot on our podcast. But I personally, it's interesting because I'm so fascinated by it, but I personally don't have an identifier like that where I turned to the internet to find other people like me. Well, I will say like I definitely turned to the internet during my massive insomnia phase. <laughs> I, yeah. I, Reddit, Reddit is interesting. Doom scrolling. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can't solve something through traditional avenues, sometimes you can solve it through Reddit because mm-hmm. it's other people like you yeah. with that same issue. So I think that's the internet can be such a toxic place of disinformation, but I think there are these pockets where it's really been so helpful and wonderful for people, which is also why I was excited to go back a little bit into history and dive into what the After Ellen community initially meant. We had a really um, sort of no-nonsense approach to the community. Like, we were not afraid to sort of kick people out who just, you know, you're an asshole, you're going to go. Was there a particular asshole that you're thinking of? <laughs> no, honestly, there isn't. We didn't, we didn't have that many problems. Um, we had a few. Michael was telling me that um, After Elton had a couple weird situations with people who, like, faked their deaths. And did some weird stuff. What? Um, yeah, where something about someone who was a longtime poster who then someone else came on as them and said, oh, this fill in the blank, you know, username just died. I'm his cousin. And so then everyone was really upset because that's how strong these relationships were that this person had been posting there for years. Yeah, that's disturbing. Yeah. And then wow. it turned out that like that was a lie. Oh, my God. And so then it was like really early, like sort of catfishing, I guess, before Everybody knew what that was and that that was the thing people would do online. But on After Ellen, I don't remember anything that dramatic happening. There was just the usual squabbles or occasional person who was kind of a jerk. But it really, there was very little toxicity overall. I would say a lot of shipper arguing. Like, you know, I, this couple is better than this couple and that. But, it, you know, that was sort of normal run-of-the-mill arguments and not like people catfishing you that they were dead. <laughs> so. How wholesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember those days. Oh, my days. God. There are, there are too many people out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about what 
the entertainment environment was like when you started after Ellen versus what it's like now, where we have Shrill, where the best friend is a black British lesbian, as opposed to if this if Shrill were made in the 2000s, the best friend would absolutely be a gay man if, mm. if you wanted to be edgy. Right. So now the best friend is a black lesbian and it's very not that edgy. You know, she's like sexually promiscuous. And I don't know, did you ever think that that would be just very normal happening kind of so soon, but also I guess 20 years is a long time. Your central thesis is right. Like it has accelerated much faster than a lot of us expected. A plus, Lindsay. (laughs) Yeah. Where I would just disagree is actually you picked the one example of something that hasn't changed. Back in the 2000s, the black lesbian best friend was a pretty common trope that a lot of shows would employ. And they still do to some degree because basically it it lets the show the TV shows do a twofer. They get to <laughs> add a minority and they get to add uh, an LGBT person. And mm-hmm. it was almost always black women. Yeah, that was unfortunately has been this common thing. What's more interesting is how many shows now that who would have been the black lesbian best friend is now the lead and is potentially bisexual, which is not something you would have seen. Yeah. But yes, you're right. Like the sheer number of characters is astonishing now. The sheer and the variety. And what's great about it is it lets you show so much more variety in different types of people now than you used to be able to. It used to be like every time there'd be a like a bad representation of a lesbian character, like you'd hear this collective groan from lesbians or bisexual women around the country of like, oh, God, not again. Because there were so few representations that you really, really, really needed them to be positive. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, yeah, there's another murdering, you know, promiscuous, (laughs) you know, whatever person who hates dogs. You know, it's okay. (laughs) Lesbians can hate dogs now because there's enough of us that one or two lesbians who hate dogs is not going to bring the wrath of dog lovers down on us. Right. You can (laughs) you can show a full spectrum of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to know, when did you realize that what you had created was actually kind of a big deal for people in your community? I do remember when I started to get emails, sort of like fan mail from people, and I realized this wasn't just an entertainment site. Like it wasn't just an entertainment review site where like Rotten Tomatoes, that it actually was serving an emotional role in people's lives or, or filling a hole, I guess. I don't remember exactly when, but it was just when that started to happen. And that was about the time, I think that was in about 2005 or so, 2004, a couple of years after I'd started it. And that's when, you know, I went to, to my wife, Lori, and said, I think I, think I want to give this a go full time. Because at the time that I was running after Ellen on the side, that was not my day job. My day job was building Expedia Search Engine Marketing Program. <laughs> and so I was spending all day doing that and then going home at night and like interviewing celebrities out of my bedroom and like pretending I knew what the hell was how to how to do that and and just like learning as I went along <laughs> and then trying to convince other people to do this with me and none of us not very many of us really knew what we were doing. So so in in 2005 or so Lori and I decided that I would quit Expedia, like cash in the little bit of stock that I had, just enough to like keep us afloat for a year and like see if we could turn this into an actual business. And literally, like we gave ourselves a year and a year later, we sold it to MTV, which was great. The best part <laughs> of that was up until then, by that time, even before I quit my job, I'd had some full-time editorial staff like Carmen and Melinda, especially, and, um, and then eventually Trish and Scribe Girl, and also Michael for After Elton and Brent, who I couldn't really pay much and couldn't give them benefits. And so being acquired by MTV, and we were actually able to give everyone you know, salaries and, and benefits and let them do this for a living. So I partly did that, made that decision to, to try to make a go at it, partly because I could see that I'd struck a chord with the community. I did not start After Ellen to be a business at all. Because like I didn't wouldn't have even known that it could be because there were no other examples of lesbian media online yet. There were print publications, but that had actually been successful. So I I did it because I was passionate about it. And then I saw how people responded and I started getting seeing the emails of how people's lives were being affected by the site and by all the great contributions from all the other women. That was the other thing that that showed me there was something to this was there were so many other people willing to get involved. For even for no money back then, I mean, we ended up being able to actually like pay writers well and stuff when we were at MTV and whatnot. But in the early days, it was it was just a volunteer effort by a lot of people. And so, seeing if you have that many people willing to step forward and help with something and and keep doing it, then you you, you know you're onto something. Uh, we had a lot of volunteer moderators as well. That that's another part of what made the community great. Kind of again, like Reddit does, 
with some of their subreddits. You know, volunteer moderators make make such a huge difference when they're passionate about it. So I'd love to get into a little bit about what happened after you left, because I know that some shit went down. So when I left, I I burned out, basically. Because you had a full-time job that was free? <laughs> did you get paid when you were doing it? Or? No, I did. I okay. took a break because I got, mm-hmm. I was so exhausted. And, and MTV was actually a great place to work. They were just fantastic and so supportive for me. But seven years of working 24 hours a day and I just hit a wall and I was exhausted, which was my own fault in retrospect. Like if for kids who are listening to this, if you're in your mid 20s or late 20s, do not burn yourself out thinking you can make it up later because it only gets worse. (laughs) 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 I walked away from it for a while. And when I walked away from it, I walked away from it completely. Like I did not pay any attention to what happened. I, I left it in good hands with Carmen and then Trish. So I just didn't pay any attention to it. And it was, I was shocked, honestly, to find out a handful of years later that it had been sold again and it was sort of had become this anti-trans site is the best way I can describe it. I don't think that's how they would describe it themselves. Um, They would, I think, say something more about how they're protecting women. I I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it it just is not a welcoming place for for trans folks to visit. You know, I was kind of surprised by that. And there was a lot of people, a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth of long time after Ellen readers who just were like, I can't go there anymore um, and support this. And I've still kind of stayed out of it because I'm so focused on my career now is all consuming in terms of marketing. And it is kind of a part of my life I've just left in the past. But every once in a while, every couple of years, I check in. I'm like, is it still anti-trans? Yep, still (laughs) anti-trans. Yikes. Yeah. Something else we were curious about with regards to the community is how the community helped people with their coming out journeys. So I was wondering if you have any stories about that to share. Yeah. You know, we had a section on the message board that was literally coming out stories or uh, places for people to sort of introduce themselves. And we got quite a lot of people coming out there, uh, usually like almost always anonymously. but, But there was also a lot of support from the community when people did that. There are some really wonderful emails I would get from, and also kind of sad, but wonderful emails from people around the world, teenagers in Kansas, and I had a doctor in Romania who were like, I, you know, I don't have anyone else to talk to about being gay, or I can't come out, or it's, in the, in the case of the Romanian doctor, I remember it was something about, it's illegal to, be, to congregate in public if you're gay in my town. That one always stuck with me. Mm. And, but especially the teenagers who would write in saying, this site is what made me realize I'm not, it's not just me, like I'm not alone. And for a lot of people, the, the site became their friends that they knew that were gay, which sort of to take the place of real life friends who they knew who were gay. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of a unique value proposition for the site at the time. It really served a wonderful role at the time. And, and I don't know how necessary that is now, because I think that now you can do that in lots of places. But back then, you really couldn't. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the Ellen scandal of today, which is that maybe she's not that nice. <laughs> I don't have any thoughts on that. Or, or if she's still this source of pride because she did pave the way for so many people. You know, I think like most things, it's complicated. I mean, I had heard similar things about her over the years, but, you know, not from people that I knew really well who knew her. So, you know, you just don't know how much stock to put in rumors. Right. But I think it's probably both things. I think she probably is difficult to work with. And she's also made some major contributions to to lesbian visibility. So did Ellen ever discover after Ellen? And if so, what was her reaction? You know, I never heard anything from Ellen herself. That bitch. Uh, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> Her mom did go on a on a Olivia cruise with us. Olivia cruise was was great, very supportive lesbian cruise line, and they sent us on a cruise to interview her mom once. So I know her mom was aware of us. Nice. Wow. And and what did her mom think? What, what was her mom like? Uh, she was nice. We just interviewed her for like half an hour. She's very nice and polite and, and kind of reserved. So uh, I did. I can't say I got a great sense of her, but um, she was she was uh, a good sport. The other funny thing this reminds me of, do you all remember Anne Heche? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Remember the whole fallout with that was a big scandal when like that, she almost ruined her own career because of dating Ellen. Mm -hmm. Because remember, she was in Six Days, Seven Nights with Harrison Ford had just come out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They attributed the like failure of that movie because it was a romantic comedy with the fact that she had come out. And so nobody would buy her and Harrison Ford being a couple. Yeah. I remember that. And it was so 
silly. Yeah. So they broke up. Wait, I love that people were like, no one will buy it, but they will always buy us matching a man that is 30 years older than the female lead. That's fine. (laughs) That's what's so hard to swallow with that movie. It's actually kind of a cute movie, but I mean, totally implausible, but cute. But the age difference is what gets me every time. It's not Anne Hayes' sexuality. It's, come on, how old is he? I mean, Vanity Fair (laughs) tracked leading men their ages versus the ages of their co-stars. And you watch the men get older and older and the women stay the same age. It's terrifying. Oh, that does not surprise me. Yeah, it's so upsetting. But anyway, you were saying. Okay, so yeah, the Anne Hage story is I, she was at a, one of the publicity junkets I was at for a movie premiere or something. And I went up to her agent left her alone for five seconds or so. And I went up to her and I was trying to get an interviewer with her. She took one look at my name tag and my publication, which was after Ellen, and just like turned around and walked off, <laughs> which oh. I was like, of course, she's not going to want to talk to us. Because at the time, remember, that was pretty toxic to her career. But yeah, but I felt bad. I was like, look, I'm really I was always a really um, I was never trying to get celebrities in trouble. I was always just, you know, wanted to hear about them, but she wasn't having it. She might have thought I was doing some kind of gotcha thing. And I really wasn't. <laughs> just... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day you two will reconnect. <laughs> Yeah. I will give a shout out to Sarah Paulson, who was always very supportive of the site. <gasps> oh, love Sarah Paulson. Uh, it's not like I knew her well at all, but she would occasionally be at some award events or whatnot. And she was always very supportive of the site. And there was a few celebrities who were like that, who were just even I don't think Sarah was even out at the time quite. But there's lots of people who who were, you know, quietly supportive, even if they couldn't publicly be out at the time. That's great. I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah. I love the happy stories. Um, <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So I was just wondering, because we started by talking about the representation of bisexual and lesbian women in the media, and we've talked a little bit about how far, how far we've come. What do you think is the next frontier? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I mean, clearly we're in a, a trans phase right now, a, tra- a pro-trans phase. It's like, just every, if you look at every minority group, there's always, they have their moment, right? Where they're getting, <laughs> where everybody's focused on that. Yeah. It was the true for African-Americans at one point. It's been true for lesbians. Bisexual women had their moment and and now it's about trans folks. So I think that's normal and natural and great. And, yeah. and every everyone should have their moment in the sun, so to speak. And then hopefully have it stick. Like it can't just be a moment and a then, flash, and then yeah. goes away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in, after that, I don't really know. That's a good question. I guess we'll see. We'll find out. I think these days I'm just hoping like we're all still around in 20 or 30 years to two kibitz <laughs> about this stuff. Because between <laughs> Russia declaring war on Ukraine and World War Three and then climate change and there's it would be a good problem to have to still be arguing about visibility issues in 20 years because it means we're still here. Because it means the human race is still trucking. <laughs> all right. right. Well... On that note, (laughs) it's been so nice to chat with you, and I hope we still can chat with you in the years to come. Agreed. Oh, great. Well, it was great talking to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, it was as delightful as I would have imagined it would be. Plus, I found out that people find each other and got found each other and got married. Yeah, we what? need to become a member of a community. I've decided that I'm a member of the anti-conspiracy community. Mm. Yeah. There's a couple of good subreddits that uh, you could get into. Yeah. I'm in a community of debunkers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's I'm gonna where you're going to find the love uh-huh. of your life. Well, if... If any of our listeners were on After Ellen or After Elton back in the day, I... I'm sure all of us would love to hear those stories. So you can call us. That number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6548. You can also email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. I am Allie underscore Goldie across all social platforms. And my dear co-host, I am at the Lindsay Life across all platforms. T H E L I N D S E Y L I F E. No way. So exciting. Y'all, Speaking we love of emails, it. Uh, not a call this week, but uh, we do have an email from Pastor Zal. Okay. He says, Hello, I recently found 2G1P and I'm working through the episodes. Thank you for getting into the back catalog, Pastor. Today, I'm listening to episode 193, NaNoWriMo, and wondering why didn't you include 
a link to their website in the description. <laughs> Please include links for your guests. By the way, I initially got 2G two girls one mic podcast confused with 2G1P until they started speaking. By the way, by the way, I'm a tech savvy boomer who laughs with both of you cheers <gasps> from Pastor Zal. I love everything Zoll. about that email. What? You make my heart warm. And I am so glad that you found us and did not just decide to listen to that other podcast. <laughs> also, are you a pastor? Because I always love progressive pastors. I think that's a cool mm. mix of things. Yeah. And pastors all, I know you're kind of new here, but you probably already found out. Allie and I are looking to get well coupled. So, oh my God. You know, Lindsay wants you to officiate already. She's jumping truly, the gun. That was where I was going. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. I know. I know. Thank you. All right. You can also support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash 2G1P. And if you want to send me well wishes and presents, not going to give out my address, but thank you so I'll much. I'll do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll dox this bitch. <laughs> but honestly, tell us anything you want. Oh, jump! did you say our Discord? I'll do it. It's discord.gg slash 2G1P. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hopefully I'll be allowed out of my house. One podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford, then accidentally broadcast into a microphone at LaGuardia Airport. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Additional editing by Avital Ayler. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe. I'm going to report you to the police.